Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister responds to the U.S. President calling the situation in Ukraine a genocide. I think it's absolutely right that more and more people be talking uh, and using the word genocide uh, in terms of what uh, Russia is doing, what uh, Vladimir Putin has done. The use of uh, targeted attacks against civilians, against hospitals, against maternity wards, against train stations filled with people fleeing. The deliberate use of sexual violence uh, against the Ukrainian population. Pierre Poiliev continues to draw big crowds to his leadership campaign events. The vote the woke folk. Are there any woke folk in the audience here today? None of the woke people. You know these woke people? They're woke, but they're not awake, right? And what effect will the Bank of Canada's interest rate hike have on inflation? Inflation is too high. It is higher than we expected, and it's going to be elevated for longer than we previously thought. It's Thursday, April 14th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. Let's start with Canada's response to the situation in Ukraine. The Prime Minister was asked yesterday whether he agrees with Joe Biden, uh, the President of the United States, that a genocide is happening in Ukraine. And uh, and Trudeau said that he... he he sort of indicated that he agreed with that language, that uh, it's good that we're having that kind of discussion. Um, so what do you think about that? And then in addition to that, there's there's increasing pressure on Canada and other countries to continue to support Ukraine and and in in many ways, including uh, handling of refugee applications uh, more swiftly and sending more support to Ukraine in the form of weapons and other supplies. Well, on the, the genocide thing, I think that it's, something of a distraction as to whether it legally constitutes a genocide. I mean, it's clear it is what the Russians are doing in, in Ukraine are war crimes. They are crimes against humanity. I mean, we will, you know, sift through the rubble after the fact and determine whether it's actually genocide. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Putin uh, denies that uh, Ukrainian identity exists, and if, and, and if such an identity does exist... He'd like to eradicate eradicate it. So, I, you know, that would seem to justify the term genocide, but I think it's, it is almost irrelevant as to whether that is um, applied by, by world leaders. It's, it's clear that what the Russians are doing in Ukraine is beyond the pale. As far as what Canada is doing in response, I mean, if you do, if you do believe that there are crimes against humanity taking place there, then you, you obviously want to try and do everything you can to stop those abuses. And it's not clear to me that Canada is doing everything it can. I, I mean, I think that the, the words are being said and, and sentiment is being expressed, and yet the actions are not necessarily following. Uh, I mean, I reported the other day that um, that uh, Canada wants to send armoured cars to, to Ukraine, and I think that's a good thing, and I think that will happen. I think there will be an announcement very soon that we're going to start sending armoured cars. But in the meantime, we have the uh, light armoured vehicles that served in Afghanistan. Many of them are being decommissioned. I mean, it does not seem impossible for me that we should we would already start sending those over there. I mean, we're going to see a very different type of uh, war in, in Ukraine very soon, I think. I mean, it's not going to be the same battles uh, in the suburbs and the big cities. It's going to be in the open steps and... and Light armor vehicles might be very useful there, and and uh, we know the Ukrainians would love to have them, 
and yet we're not sending them. So that, it seems to me that Canada could do more. We have Harpoon missiles, I think I've, I mentioned this on the show last week, uh, which we're not sending for various reasons. They're not, not good reasons, in my opinion. So I think, you know, there are things that Canada could do that it's not doing, largely because of bureaucratic red tape. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it feels uh, on some level, I know other people have made this comment, that we're, we're, we're doing some things, but are we really stretching ourselves to help Ukraine in this situation, right? Are we doing well, everything we can? Well, some of it was about the budget. I mean, the budget came out and it allocated $500 million of military aid to Ukraine. So maybe some of the, the lethargy was because we were waiting for the money to be released. Uh, that doesn't really explain why we weren't sending equipment that we already owned, but um, but, but let's hope that that uh, the announcement of that money breaks the logjam. And I think the armored cars, which they will announce pretty soon, I mean it won't be a, a, a huge number initially because nobody's got that many armored cars sitting in their lot. But at least uh, uh, the initial shipment will signal a ramp up of production. I mean, obviously the. Time is of the essence, and whether they all get there in time is a, uh, another question. But uh, but may- maybe that was the logjam in the first place with the budget. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's turn to the conservative leadership race, and I know there's there's been a lot of discussion lately about the size of the crowds that Pierre Poilievre is attracting, and then other people have been weighing in as well about who's at these events, uh, whether. You know, there's enough diversity in the audience, uh, whether it represents Canada and whether these are these are already committed conservatives. Is he winning new people to the party or or just catering to the base? So um, what do you what do you make of what's going on with Pierre Poilievre's campaign? It's certainly uh, it's certainly noteworthy. Yes, yeah, something is going on. It's not entirely clear what I mean, you know, I mean, questions of diversity. I don't think you're going to get a hugely diverse crowd at a conservative leadership convention necessarily. Uh, or not a convention, but a rally. I don't think they're all existing conservative members. I mean, maybe some of them are uh, PPC members. Maybe they're people who haven't been voting in the past. It does seem to be that the, the, this idea of rallying, you know, handing back control of your life, freedom, these are messages that are resonating in, in audiences of, of people who maybe feel they've lost control or they've lost freedom. It's clearly not just the Freedom Convoy crowd. It's It's gone beyond that. There are obviously people who are interested in his messages on uh, on housing, maybe younger voters, millennials who are who feel that they're frozen out of the housing market. Uh, it's it's uncertain as to what that means in terms of membership sales and votes, but it seems to me that uh, something is happening when you get 5,000 people in a crowd in Calgary or whatever the numbers, these are huge crowds. Whenever I've covered either election campaigns or leadership campaigns in the past and, and crowds are pouring in, then, then generally that is reflected in the final result. You, you know, you, if you're generating that amount of interest, then generally people are enthusiastic about you, and that, that bodes well for Pierre Poliev. Yeah. And they, they're, they're both a sign, and also they're a great marketing tool, right? So it's almost a reinforcing kind of dynamic that if you're getting big crowds and people are talking about the big crowds, then that itself gives you momentum. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, this is a sign of the times that, and I don't hesitate to use the word populist. I mean, it's a populist message. It's the use of slogans. It's the use of vague promises that, uh, that uh, and, and 
advocating simple solutions to complex problems. I mean, Justin Trudeau did this in 2015. He he made a huge number of promises, basically saying to the, the electorate, I will fix all these things. Now, clearly, when he got elected, any number of those promises were either unpalatable or impractical, and they didn't happen. And, you know, I looked at the, the promises that Pierre Poilievre was talking about, the video that he made on, on uh, housing, which has been viewed a lot of times. It's been, it, it, it's been pretty viral on social media. What he essentially was saying was that um, the central bank has got to stop printing money and we've got to remove the gatekeepers who are putting up the, the government cost of buying new houses. Now, when you, you sort of decipher all that, what is he actually saying in policy terms? Is he actually saying that he wants to remove the independence of the Bank of Canada? Because we've just spent 25 years or more of going towards independence of central banks because previously unscrupulous politicians manipulated interest rates to get themselves re-elected. Right. Is, he, is what he's saying we, we want to, to reverse all of that? It's not clear. It's pretty vague. Yeah. On the government cost side, he's t- all of these costs that he's talking about, which are land transfer costs and development charges to get your your water and sewage plumbed into your new house, which are, are charged to developers by municipalities and are then passed on to buyers. You know, the ability of any fod- federal politician to manipulate those costs uh, or reduce those costs is pretty limited because if you're the city of Toronto, they get 5% of the budget from land transfer tax. As the federal government trying to tell the city of Toronto that it is no longer going to charge a land transfer tax is nigh on impossible, I would imagine. Yeah. And so, therefore, you're you're making promises you can't keep, and that's populism. You mentioned the Bank of Canada, and and for a long time, the announcement about the prospect of a change in the Bank of Canada's central rate has been a non-event. It hasn't changed very much at all uh, in recent. In recent years, but but yesterday it changed by 50 basis points, and I know a lot of people have been expecting this because there has been some inflation, and this is a natural sort of decision for the bank to make after after there's been some inflation. So, what do you, what do you think about that? The impact on on uh, on finances and the impact on politics. Well, as you said, I mean this is not um, completely unexpected. I mean people have have, have known it was coming. I mean, we, we've known that inflation is was way over the bank's target of 2%. You know, we're going to see somewhere around 5.5% or more this year. The bank's sole mechanism of getting that under control is to increase interest rates, so we knew it was coming. I mean, this it, this is pretty unprecedented to see a, a, a half-point hike in one, in one go, but we're still only at 1%, so interest rates are still low. You know, as recently as the start of 2020, they were at 1.75%. So we're not in the realms of, uh, of of high interest rates. It's not. It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. It shouldn't be a shock to anybody who's got a mortgage. We suspect that, that when the bank uh, raises rates or beats to discuss raising rates again in June, that it may go up another half point. But even then, you're still at 1.5%. So I don't think we're going to be uh, at the level that uh, causes huge upset for people. I mean, we're not going to see people underwater at the moment, uh, or at least we shouldn't, because 
you know, those these are historically low rates when you're at 0.25% yeah. rates. I mean, we were, you know, go back to 2007, we were at 4.5%. I mean, some of us remember in the, in the 90s, sure. 20%, yeah. right? I mean, this, these are rates that if you buy a house, you should be able, you should be calculating that if you're on a variable rate, the rate's going to go up and it's not going to be at 0.25 or even 1%. For any length of time. So, uh, but I, I, what I do think we're going to see is, you know, the, the whole discussion at the moment, the political discussion, probably have talking about housing, and the budget was very concerned with people getting on the first rung of the housing ladder, and that it's millennials not getting into housing that's the main concern. Just wait till rates really start rising, and the vast majority of people who are homeowners, not people trying to get into the home industry when the homeowners start hurting then there's a political problem for yeah. politicians great points john thank you so much for joining us today thanks mark that's john iveson of the national post inflation is too high it is higher than we expected and it's going to be elevated for longer than we previously thought now here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today in the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues Canada's bank is trying to tame inflation and change the narrative. Schofield writes, Timing is everything when it comes to managing the pandemic recovery. Now both the Bank of Canada and the federal government are making a deliberate point of cutting back and eventually eliminating their support. If they move too aggressively, we could stumble and fall under the weight of higher interest rates. If they move too timidly, inflation could gain the upper hand. They are scrambling to deal with the aftermath of having swamped households and markets with easy money for two years, in parallel with actions from governments and central banks around the world. In the Winnipeg Free Press, David McLaughlin argues, Pierre Poilievre's message is that only true conservatives need apply. McLaughlin writes, According to Poilievre's campaign, True conservatives are anti-carbon tax, anti-COVID-19 mandates, and pro-freedom in all its guises. This uncompromising stance is defining conservatism as the basis for a radically different conservative party from anything seen before. His main opponent, Jean Charest, has it all wrong. Embracing the extreme doesn't disqualify Poiliev from becoming leader of his party, it validates him. Canadian politics is more polarized than ever. That makes fighting for the political center increasingly illusory. Compromise and moderation risk alienating your voter coalition. In National Newswatch, Glenn Pearson argues a new form of democracy is rising. Pearson writes, Across the world, in what seem to be prosperous democracies, this newest challenge from the alt-right is gaining force and turning traditional political tenures into fragile affairs. All of this is of growing concern to the center and leftist promoters in the West. Around the globe, the sight of democratically elected leaders denying citizens their natural rights has become the new normal, redefining democracy itself in the process. A new form of democracy is rising worldwide that cares little for rights and more for authoritarianism. This has now become the fault line that will decide our global future. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. 
Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will be in Calgary to make an announcement and speak about the budget. International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan will speak in Surrey, British Columbia, about budget investments toward job creation. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbeau will speak about the budget in Saint-Jérôme, Quebec. In Delta, B.C., Employment Minister Carla Qualtro will meet with the British Columbia chapter of the International Association of Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers to speak about investments to support skilled trades. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will highlight budget funding in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Indigenous Services Minister Patty Haidu will speak about the budget at the Cowessess Wind and Solar Renewable Energy Development in Saskatchewan. In Gander, Newfoundland and Labrador, Minister of Seniors Kamal Kara will speak about budget investments in the green transition. Minister for Women Marcy Ian will highlight budget investments in Edmonton. Minister of Northern Affairs Daniel Vandal will be in Yellowknife to speak about the budget. And Labour Minister Seamus O'Regan will speak about the budget in Cardigan, Prince Edward Island. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, April the 14th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Tuesday morning after the Easter long weekend. Have a great Easter weekend.